2: I'm Sarah Bivens.
1: And I'm Matthew Bivens.
2: We had a home birth back in 2016.
1: So we started a podcast about it.
2: And then grew it into a birth brand to help future and current parents believe in their success with home birth.
1: This is the place to hear home birth stories along with helpful resources and tips to feel empowered and supported in your birth journey.
2: This is Doing It At Home. Hey friends, it's Sarah here. Welcome back to the podcast. This is doing it at home. This is the space where we help you feel confident, prepared, and excited for your home birth. So thank you so much for being here. Make sure you hit subscribe on whatever device you are listening. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. We greatly appreciate it. It really helps to get the show out there and further exposure for others to find it and to benefit from this space. So we greatly appreciate you doing that. And all the ways that you can follow us, connect, engage further in doing it at home, there are links to all of those in the show notes. So in the description of this episode, you will find links to our website, our social media accounts, our private Facebook group and more, including our merch store, our store full of our resources, like our latest book that we just dropped, and a place where if you feel so inspired to give back to this space, if you have benefited from doing it at home and you would like to contribute, you would like to pay it forward in some way, you can do so in a one-time donation of any amount that you choose. There's a link to do that as well. So all of that is there for you. And if nothing else, if you can't remember any of that, you can just go to our website site diahpodcast.com where I will add one more thing you can also sign up for our free weekly email newsletter which provides awesomeness totally for free into your inbox every week all around home birth empowerment resources stories things that are going on and doing it at home all of that's there for you so highly recommend you doing that as well and thank you for being a part of this space. We so appreciate you. We appreciate your energy. You know, even though we're not talking to you right now, you're listening to us through your earbuds or your speakers, wherever you are. We feel you. We hear you. We see you. So thank you. Whether you are a first-time parent like we were in back in 2016, planning for your first home birth, or maybe you've experienced a few births and you are playing for some in the future or you're planning for another one, or maybe you are no longer in your birthing journey physically, but you just love birth stories and you're a hashtag birth junkie and we totally get it. So that's why we're here for you. (laughs) So thank you. Today, we have a really great episode for you. We are bringing a a throwback. We are bringing you an episode from about a year ago in 2020, a conversation we had with Sarah Leahy. And the one thing that I'll just add to this part of the intro before you get into the episode itself is you need to be following Sarah on Instagram. Since this episode first aired, her Instagram has just exploded, and rightfully so, because it is so amazing. It is chock full of empowerment and information. So go follow Birth Uprising. That's just all one word, Birth Uprising. And there's a link to it in the show description for you. But go check out Sarah's Instagram. It is amazing. And so is her story. So hope you enjoy. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the podcast.
0: Hello. Thanks for having me.
1: We are so appreciative that you (laughs) carved out some time to hang out with us on this Monday morning as we sit here hanging out with you, recording this.
2: Yes. Oh, yeah. Cool, (laughs) Sarah. Tell us a little bit about you and your family.
0: Sure. So, I live in Massachusetts with my husband Adrian and my two sons, Bo, who's about four, and Fox, who's almost two. Uh, My husband. chiropractors and we own our own practice and have for almost 10 years um, worked together and over the last few years I've been home with the kids which has been nice but also challenging um, and I during that time have gotten really interested in birth after my two very different birth experiences I was always interested in birth and that just really accentuated it and so now, uh, I can't stop. And so I'm here to tell you about, uh, what happened to me and, uh, what that led to, I guess.
2: Very cool. I love that. Yeah. I love how he's like, can't stop. Just, just can't stop. <laughs>
1: yeah. we, we get that. We didn't know that four years into I our know. kiddo's birth, we'd, we'd be still
2: be talking, talking about birth. birth. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I love that. And also are there a lot of, and maybe this is just in our sphere that we see this, are there a lot of husband, wife or partner chiropractic teams. Uh, we live, so where we live to, as for reference in, uh, just outside of Atlanta, we live in Marietta, Georgia, and very close to us is life university, a very mm-hmm. big, well-known chiropractic university. And so I feel like we just see a lot of husband, wife, or partner pairs, you know, as chiropractors together. Is that, is that like a big thing
0: or am I? Just- it's no, it's, <laughs> it is, it's pretty common because I think what happens is most people, they get out of undergrad, I took a couple years off, but they head straight to chiropractic school, and they're in that age where they're kind of looking for a partner, and it's a really, it's an easy place to find someone who's similar to you because if you have the kind of philosophy about life and health that you generally do, if you go to chiropractic school, then you know it's not like you're walking into a bar (laughs) and trying to find someone blind. (laughs) You know, you you know you have a lot in common already, and so there are a lot of people who end up kind of pairing off and then working together. Yeah. For sure.
2: Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Knowing what I know now, if I were interested in creating the type of partnership that was healthy and sustainable and like the things that I would want, I would definitely be hanging out in chiropractic communities. Even if I wasn't going to be a chiropractor, I would like link up with some chiropractic <laughs> friends. I'd be like, "Hey, can I come to <laughs> your stuff because that's where I would want to meet someone because Lord knows I was going to other places. <laughs> <Right> <laughs> time. Like you said, bars and
0: stuff. So, right. Well, Tell thank us you. more, please. No, no. Thank you
2: for taking that sidebar <laughs> with us, and now we'll bring it back. We'll bring it back. Okay, um, okay awesome. So you mentioned two very different birth experiences. Can you kind of give, because as I understand it, your first birth and kind of some of the circumstances around that really influenced your plans for your second. So can you give some details around that?
0: Sure. So my. My first pregnancy actually ended in a miscarriage, which I think really shaped my first birth experience. Because I went from <clears throat> chiropractic school and always trusting my body, and being a really healthy person. I was a CrossFitter, runner. I did yoga. Was a really healthy eater. I have a master's in nutrition, um, so I really trusted that my you know my body could do this. And for my first pregnancy to end in a miscarriage really challenged my thought process on what it could really do and so I didn't get pregnant again on my own um, for maybe nine months to a year I want to say after that miscarriage and so we ended up doing intrauterine insemination and on the second try I got pregnant with my son Bo. and so I basically just stayed I was going to do a home birth and have a home birth midwife but because I had gone through that series of treatments I just stayed with my OB care and everybody was nice, and uh, so I, you know, was happy with my care up until that point. And then I ended up going into the hospital for my birth, and basically one thing led to another that kind of broke me down into believing that my body was broken, and, and truly it was just taking too long on their timeline. And so I didn't want any intervention at all, and. I went in and eventually they said, you know, you haven't had anything to drink because we won't allow you to. You should get an IV. No, I don't want an IV. And I'd say the same thing three times and then I'd concede and, you know, and then I'd I'd get the IV. And, you know, and then it was at some stage an epidural. Same thing. They coerced me into it after, you know, three or four tries. And then it was breaking my water. And then it was, you know, it was just one thing that led to another. And I had a doula and she is wonderful and she's still a really good friend of mine. I've known her since we were both interested in birth back in high school and now she's a midwife, Mm -hmm. but she was with me for about 24 hours. So she had to leave because she was still breastfeeding and she had a small child and that's a long time to be with somebody. And after she left and my husband's just sitting in a chair, terrified, he doesn't know what's going on. Um, He was just on his phone half the time not even looking because I think he just didn't know what to do. But now I was kind of by myself. I was on my own. And they asked me a few times if I wanted a C-section. There was no need for it. It wasn't an emergency. I was fine. The baby was fine. I had just been pushing for too long. They told me that I, you know, I could push because I was at 10 centimeters. And so I agreed to it. And then had the surgery and No one warned me about everything that could happen afterwards. So I ended up with PTSD, anxiety, guilt, uh, huge amounts of depression. Every time I had a friend who had a birth that went the way I was hoping mine would, I would just get so depressed. I'd relive everything. I'd have nightmares. Um, And had anyone warned me about that, I would never have agreed because it lasted years so for the next one I decided well I decided actually right after the surgery was over uh, I needed to have another baby because I needed to do it differently the next time and the next time I got pregnant without really trying it was a surprise and so it was kind of my time to learn more and think about what I was doing and make a more conscious effort and basically undo what had happened to me. And it really did. Wow.
2: That with all of the things that you described, PTSD, anxiety, grief, uh, or I inserted grief. You didn't say grief, but uh, maybe some element of that. Well, that's, um, yeah. That, and then to look at the opportunity and you said, un, you know, undo it, or we hear a lot of women talk about a redemptive quality to anyone of mm-hmm. their births, and I just think that's such a that's such a powerful thing. Like I can feel that, you know, in my body, as you describe that, just uh, it's, it's, it's hard to really put words to it. It's just such a mm-hmm. big thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow Well, and nobody, nobody cares about it, and nobody tells you that if you go into the hospital system. and that that, for me, was my first mistake. I believe was was staying in a system that I knew wouldn't serve me in the way that I needed to be served during that time, and so and, and it happens to so many people, but they don't know. they don't know any better, just like I didn't know any better. I trusted them, yeah. and they, they weren't doing anything that was overtly awful. They were doing what they thought was right, and that's the problem. Yeah, what
2: they're trained to do or what the scope is right. There you know care or, or understanding is and the kind of establishment of the relationship to even you know doesn't even feel like a relationship at times for some but that's you know those are the parameters in which they they work within and operate within right so it, let me let me ask this you? question
1: um, is there anything that could have been shared with you sarah and this is a tough question to answer by the way but looking back is there anything that they could have said to you or could have prepared you that you think would have, would have had, uh, you know, an impact. So I'm just thinking of the people who end up having C-sections for, uh, for other reasons to, to try to not experience that, you know, the, the trauma that you have gone through.
0: Well, I think, I mean, so, first of all, some people do have C-sections that are totally fine. Yeah. Um, but I think it really depends on a lot of, uh, it's way too frequent. And it depends on a lot of things that a lot of people end up like I did because they weren't warned. I think it would have been so many things they would have had to tell me. It would have been, I was not given true informed consent or or I wasn't able to give informed consent because I wasn't informed. They didn't say, you know, they, they had me sign something as I'm laying there in a bed and I can't feel my legs while I'm in labor because I already had an epidural And they have me, you know, they have you sign this paperwork and they don't go over it with you. And you're not going to sit there and read like five pages of, you know, mumbo jumbo while you're in this state. And so you just trust them and you sign it. So in that paperwork, did it give me some of that information? Maybe. But no one ever told me what was in my epidural. Had I known narcotics were in there, I probably wouldn't have taken it. No one told me, you know, any... First of all, they just don't pay attention to the psychological aspect. They don't pay attention to your emotional health doesn't matter. Your psychological health doesn't matter. As long as there's a healthy mom and healthy baby, which basically just means everyone lived and now you can go home. Yeah, yeah. Um, then then they don't care. So it's, it's all about liability and less about actual care. And I think... The amount of information that I didn't know that they would have had to give me to make a true informed choice would just be, it would have to, in my opinion, happen during your prenatal visits. It can't happen during your labor. Yeah. Sure. You have to be talking about it months and months in advance, little bits at a time, because it's a lot of information to take in. Yeah.
2: yeah. And I think that's where, you know, the other resources can come into play or the other people to support you in your process, you know like a doula or like classes or groups or, you know, whatever that is, because say you are choosing a hospital birth for whatever reason and you're feeling kind of that way, like you're not getting everything that you need. Well, you don't have to get everything from them. Don't, don't put all Mm -hmm. the eggs in that basket, so to speak, and don't rely on people to give you things that isn't necessarily within their scope. So that's where the kind of informed consent and really taking Proactive, responsible action—you know—in our bodies, in our processes, and our experiences can come into play. To, you know, where you can almost counterbalance—you know—what you might not be getting there, but you can get it in other places. Like just that, we have options, even if for the person listening who's going a hospital birth route for maybe there are other pre-existing conditions or there's things like that, but that um, you know week you can have it all meaning like you can go out to other places and sources
0: i think it also stinks though that people have to do that because that's true i mean and that's with the system the way that it is if you want that if you want to be informed you have to spend all of this time yourself researching or you have to pay somebody like Leah doula a very educated experienced doula to help you read through all this information and help support you I feel like you should be able to go to the hospital and trust these people that you're going to be taken care of and you're not going to be taken advantage of. And that when you leave, you're not going to be traumatized by what happened to you. Yet that's totally not the case.
1: Yeah. Cause you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's tough to like hindsight gives you so much, you know, understanding and, and wisdom. And you look back Oh, okay, now I get it. But at the, at the time you don't know what you don't know. And, sure. So it's, right. yeah, there's, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. appreciate you um, talking about it, Sarah.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, no problem at all.
2: Yeah, <laughs> it's so important. So then in planning or not planning for a second birth, because you said it was a surprise, but you, you had mm-hmm. that kind of knowingness even coming out of the surgery that there would be another experience to to revisit this, right? And and potentially heal and as you said, kind of undo. So what was the planning process like when you realized you were pregnant again?
0: So when I found out I was pregnant again, I I knew I had to do it differently. And so I did hire a home birth midwife. Um she was a CNM. And she was really far away and it just kind of didn't work out. At the same time, I had before I found her, had started OB care just to have something in my record just to confirm my pregnancy and, you know, get going with my care at a place uh, just a mile from me. I just picked it because it was close. And uh, my first visit with them, they had me sign a consent form for anesthesia. I was like eight weeks pregnant. Oh, wow. And yeah. And I said, oh, no, 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 we're not doing this again. And the nurse practitioner I saw, said, well, you know, if the doctor thinks that it's best or if the baby is too big, and I was like, yeah, okay, I got to get out of here <laughs> right now because this, this is not the place for me. And, I, and I, I stayed for a little bit, and then I found the home birth midwife, and then that didn't work out, and I couldn't find anybody else in my area. I wasn't getting responses or anything, so I, I, the day that I dropped that midwife because things didn't work out, I was like half crying. And I just said, what do I have to do? Deliver this baby myself? And it was like in a cartoon where one of those light bulbs comes up above your head. (laughs) And I was like, wait a minute, why couldn't I? You know, if if I'm healthy and I teach myself about all the things that they're trying to worry me about and I already have this huge background of information, basically medical information, because medical students and chiropractic students we all learn the same background stuff we just then branch off into how are we going to treat people what are we going to specialize in so all the anatomy and physiology all of that stuff is the same and so i have all this information and and why couldn't i what is this other person going to do for me if i know the signs of x y and z i know how to call nine one one. I know where the ambulance is. I know where the hospital is. I know what to do when the baby's born. I know how to check myself for hemorrhage or whatever it is. Why couldn't I? And so, I I went back to my OB care just to have something on paper. But the whole time I was planning on not going in to the hospital. And at thirty five weeks, I had a. We had an appointment scheduled with our refrigerator repair man. <laughs> and it just so happened that it could only come at basically the exact same window of time that I had my 35 or 36 week appointment. And so we had to cancel it. And I was like, I'm just not going to go back. Why would, I, why would I go back at this stage? Because all that's going to happen from here on out is pressure and coercion and me basically fighting them about induction, about repeat c-section, about more testing every week. And I'm not going to do those things. So I'm just not going back. And so I didn't, I didn't schedule another appointment. I took care of myself at home. I took my own blood pressure. I, you know, watched for any symptoms of swelling or headaches or anything that would indicate I needed help. And I was fine. And (laughs) They actually, they harassed me. They called once, left a message, you know, like you miss a regular appointment. And then the next time they called and the woman who called from the desk sounded like she was going to faint. Like, she, oh, I'm so worried about you. Like, if I walked in right now, you literally have no idea who I am. Every time you ask for my name and you, and you act like you've never seen me before. Oh, we're so worried. Oh, you need to make an appointment right away. Why? So then they... Then they escalated to uh, sending me an email, and then they sent me a letter in the actual mail. And I was like, "I better go pick up my records. These people are going to show up at my house." So I did. I went and picked up my records. Didn't tell them where I was transferring. They kept asking because uh, it was to me. Yeah. And uh, and then they left me alone. So I was I was able to continue the rest of my pregnancy without being harassed or coerced or you know, yelled at or told that I was negligent or any of the things that I knew were about to happen. And it was glorious. Yeah.
2: That's some great energy preservation for yourself. I can imagine just to have, to have all of that, any sort of combative stuff where you have to kind of go on the defense or anything as you are preparing for this birth experience. Yeah. That's just Mm -hmm. bravo to you. I think that's, that's awesome
0: it. was it. the best thing I could have done.
2: Yeah. Mm, yeah. So I'm curious about Adrian. Yes, in me this, too. Because I knew Matthew was not to with it. So <laughs> going from mind. sitting in a chair, probably scared in a hospital on his phone, not really knowing what's going on to now being the co-pilot of an
0: unassisted home birth.
2: What, what, what happened in that in between? Like, how yeah. was he? What, <laughs> what was
0: it's quite a, it's quite a transition. Yeah. So yes, good question. Um, so he, I told him what I what I thought I wanted to do. And he kind of looked like a deer in headlights at first, because he was the guy in the chair with the phone. And he, he hadn't made that step yet. And so uh, basically, I helped educate him and answer any questions he had. And uh, he listened to some podcasts I listened to about women who were in very similar positions to me and how they had been treated in the past and what they did going forward. And Um, Sent him some some different stuff to read, so he felt prepared. And the more he educated himself, the more he felt comfortable with it. And also, he knew he couldn't stop me, so Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) yeah.
1: Well, were were the conversations around unassisted at this point, or just home birth at this point?
0: No, unassisted. Got it. Okay. I yeah. He because uh, once I had the I had the midwife, there would have been someone there. And then yeah. once I let her go, and couldn't find someone else. He knew I wasn't going to that hospital unless I needed to. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and not that he could have made me go, but I feel like I've, I come across a lot of people who say, oh, my, you know, my husband would never be comfortable with that. My partner would never let me. Um, and I find that very sad that you aren't allowed to make your own choices, that you that your partner wouldn't think that you are trying to make the best choice for you and for your baby and that someone would hold you back from that. It, it just, it makes me sad because I hear it a lot. Yeah. yeah it, it comes up for sure. Mm-hmm. And yeah.
2: I kind of love how you're like this, this train's moving. You can get on.
0: Yeah, or... seriously. Yeah. <laughs> you Not can go there. somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh.
2: Okay. So we're complete with the the ob office you know we have the records they're no longer calling you like a tax collector and so, (laughs) then, what was it like
0: in you know the couple of days or even the day leading into birth so it was just normal stuff i was just living my life we put in a patio um you know what you what you do when you're like almost ready to give birth um you know, taking care of my then two year old in the house and uh, my husband's still going to work, same as before everything was was normal. it wasn't it, it it made me feel like this is a normal process. this is a part of life. This isn't like it's not an emergency. It's not something that I had to you know s- stop my entire life for and worry about it was going to happen when it happened, and I liked that about it. It made me feel like I was able to relax. And trust my body and trust my baby and just kind of, you know, go with the flow. And so we put that patio in. And I think like a couple days later, I <laughs> went into labor. Um, and it was a Friday, I believe. My husband went to work, and I started having contractions in the morning and went to Trader Joe's and, you know, brought my son with me and we went to the pet store and I just stop here and there and, you know, take a break if I was having a contraction. And uh, that went on all day. <laughs> it went on for thirty-nine hours.
2: Oh wow! Sure.
0: It's long.
2: Okay, thirty-nine hours. All right, well, let's let's leave in suspense. Let's take a quick break, <laughs> and when we come back, we're gonna jump yes. back in. Okay. Okay, so 30, 39 hours. Walk us through this, Sarah.
0: <laughs> so it was. It was very slow for. Uh, quite some time and you know it just I just went with it and it was manageable for a good portion of that 39 hours Um, I contracted all day on Friday and just kind of did my normal thing and would take a break here and there and um, went to bed that night and my son who was two would still occasionally wake up in the night and we had just moved him to his own bed pretty recently he used to sleep with us and my husband not even thinking, because I'm waking up like, I don't know, every so many minutes in the night and having to move around because I'm having a contraction. My husband's not even thinking. He goes and grabs our son and brings him in the bed. And I was like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> like, like I don't I don't need to be trying to be quiet and not moving. Also, <laughs> while I'm having contractions now with two other people in a queen size bed, this is this is really not. This is not good. So, that I was able to do it though. And the next morning, I was like, "What were you thinking?" He's like, "Oh my god, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't even think about it." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, I gathered that." <laughs> uh, but it, but it was fine. I was I got through it. And then um, things kind of progressed. The next morning, we actually had a friend who, um, uh, another chiropractic couple who we've known from school who lived nearby, and they took our son eventually but i was able to spend some time with him while things weren't so intense and that was one of the best parts for me that he was able to be there and we had a birth pool and i'd be in the pool and he'd take water and put it on my arm and he was trying to relax me and we had watched some birth videos before too because i wanted him to be familiar with the sights and sounds in case he was there the whole time uh but i did need him to leave (laughs) because i need. I mean, some people need a lot of support, physical, emotional. I wanted to be left alone and I didn't want anyone touching me. I just wanted to do my thing and he wanted to be in the pool with me and he wanted to be near me. So we were lucky that we had the friends to take him. Um, And so he left and, and I was able to just kind of focus. Uh, At some point, my husband made me a grilled cheese. I think I ate like half of it Uh, and I'd switch from the pool to standing as tall as I could, leaning to the right or laying on my right side, because that was just based on his position, must have been always oh, the most comfortable. And I labored all day and all night, and eventually um, could tell I was getting close because I started having the feelings that everyone says they have when they're in transition, where you feel like you're going to throw up and uh, you feel like, I just don't want to do this anymore. And I said that out loud, and it was like that light bulb came back, and I and I thought, oh, I'm almost done, which is good because this is really painful. <laughs> so looking forward to this being over, and I was just tired of it, you know, because it had been a long, you know, day and a half. Yeah. So he was born in the water at 11 p.m. on the dot on the Saturday. So started on Friday, and he was born on Saturday night. Um, I didn't push. I had fetal ejection reflex and one contraction his head was out and then the next contraction his body just flew out into the water (laughs) like a little torpedo and um the funny part was my husband I was in the water and I was on my hands and knees and so my and I couldn't talk at this point so my husband was holding my hand and I was squeezing it really hard and I forgot to file my nails so (laughs) I did claw, claw him a little bit but if that's the worst that happened to him and he's that you know he got off lucky but but he didn't know what was going on because he couldn't see so the head was out you know and i'm waiting for the next contraction and i'm panting and he has no idea so then when the next contraction came and the baby flew out and i picked him up and put him to my chest his face was just priceless it was like he was in the most awe he'd ever been in in his life because he just didn't expect it he didn't know know what was going on or how long it was gonna take or any of that. And so he was born and he didn't cry. Um I think because he had a smooth transition and because he wasn't stressed out or poked or taken from me. And uh I just looked him over and made sure he didn't sound like he was too wet, like I needed to suction him or anything like that. And uh was kind of paying attention to myself because I still had to birth the placenta. And Then once that was done and we cut the cord and we tied it off with a little friendship bracelet cord tie that I made, it took me back to like, you know, camp (laughs) when you're eight. And I went and took a shower and then I came back down and ate some chicken broccoli Alfredo and then we went to bed and it was like, yeah, it was like, it was, it was all normal. It was all part of the day. It was all there wasn't like this big fanfare or bright lights or procedures. And I really liked that about, about it. And it made me, it truly did completely 180. My feelings about what had happened to me before about myself in general, and really made me dive into the world of birth in a way that I, just hadn't before because I started to realize I wanted to hear about other people's stories did they have experiences like mine because people just don't talk about it and that's when I started the autonomous birth project on Facebook which I've kind of neglected now but I was very active on for about a year and it basically was a place for me to ask people about their experiences and to see was it as bad as mine was it better um what would they do differently next time? What did they wish they were told? And I, it was basically informal research. And the sum of the research was that it's more awful than I thought because people just don't talk about their experiences and they accept things that they really just don't need to uh, because they think that it's normal and they think that it's necessary. And they think that they have to suffer in these different ways in order to have the outcome of a healthy baby, which totally isn't true, but they're not given that information. Um, And then, with all that experience, decided to start um, an Instagram account called Birth Uprising, where I share information about, you know, evidence-based research that I've read, um, you know, different studies that I've seen, people's experiences, my experiences, and ask questions about what other people have seen, because it took me from a space where I had about 600 people uh, that were answering the questions to, you know, potentially not an infinite, but a much larger pool of people and uh, different people that to see, you know, was it the same and to get the, the information a little bit further. So maybe some people wouldn't end up with a bad experience because they had the information that I hadn't had the first time around.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Holding that space. Paying it forward, mm-hmm. you know, creating possibilities for those who could learn. Kind of what you were saying earlier, Matthew. You don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. So to kind of circumvent some of that stuff, and then be a little bit more equipped, and and that could reveal itself or could show up in any scenario, right? Whether it's in choosing your provider or a choice that you make during the prenatal process or a choice that you make during the birth experience, but just something that you can carry with you to potentially avoid an outcome or a thing that you're not keen on experiencing or that you don't even know you're not keen on experiencing. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's my hope with that is that people will see this information and no matter what kind of care they choose to have, or if they choose to do their own, they have the information to actually give informed consent, to make an informed choice because you have all the information, not just whatever your provider deemed Mm -hmm. was appropriate for your five minute appointment. It's the pros and cons and lots of cons that no one tells you about things that are considered normal and standard so that you can say, you know, maybe that's not for me or maybe this is for me. But now you can make that choice for yourself and then be comfortable with your choice and with the outcome and not feel guilt and regret because you just didn't know
1: exactly yeah we're i mean we, we we're such big believers in being able to make a choice and then being comfortable with what happens and having that informed consent you know understanding what is on the table is such a huge part of that to be able to make that choice and you know not feel the the guilt or regret that could be there if you made a choice without knowing the full picture hmm sarah Thanks. i am curious i would like for you to share um what What belief about yourself did you form after your first baby was born that then changed after the second baby was born?
0: I would say uh, I felt like my body was broken. I felt like the one thing that I felt like my body should really be able to do that I had been looking forward to my whole life, it kind of failed at. But the second birth really taught me that, it wasn't me that failed. It was the system that I subscribed to. It was the system that created the providers that I chose, that believed birth should be inside a box and labor should last X hours. And at this, you know, dilation, you must be ready to push. And if you've pushed this long, obviously the baby's not coming out. Um, you know, and that everyone is the same. And so the second one really taught me that. That was that was never the case. I I wasn't broken. I just didn't fit into that box, and it really made me feel like I could literally do anything. And, and uh, I already kind of felt like that, <laughs> but, <laughs> but but that birth had take it had taken a lot for me, and it really made me feel. I used to be a really confident person. And I had really changed a lot of that for me, and not just you know b- birth related, but um, in lots of different aspects. So it really returned my confidence and made me feel like I could kind of, you know, flip the bird to the people who told me I couldn't do it. Yeah.
1: yeah. Wow. What do you think, you know, changing up how things happen with the system is is complicated and complex. But what mm-hmm. do you think is one thing that you would like to see happen that maybe people who are feeling inspired by listening to this can participate in? Just just one step we could take towards moving in the direction where you know, things are better?
0: I think probably the most important thing somebody can do it, w- during their care that would make a difference for them is to question things. So you'd question if you went in you know, for to, to your doctor for a consult about uh, a mole that you had on your body or if you were having digestive issues or whatever, you go in and say, you know, here are my symptoms, we'll do some tests, you give me your advice. And then based on that, I'm going to determine whether the surgery you suggested or the medication you suggested is what I want to take or what I want to do. For some reason that goes out the window during maternity care and people who would normally say, I'm not sure if this is for me, just accept it all. So I think one thing that people could do on their own is to just question more, to say, you know, okay, your gestational diabetes screen is, you know, at your next appointment. And for someone to say, do I need that? What are the alternatives? Um, is, is this something that everyone needs? What does it show? You know, to just ask more questions so that they can find out if if the things that are going to happen during their their pregnancy and their birth, even no matter what situation they decide to give birth in, that they they have that information because it's often not shared. And like you said, the, the system is not going to change. That's a whole. It's way too much. But on an individual level, if people ask more questions and they felt comfortable learning more and building their confidence, I think that they could have uh, much better outcomes. It's just it's hard because you people just think that that's what you're supposed to do that's what i did yeah. even with all my background i still went in and trusted them you know and i di- i didn't question and you really should you should question anybody who's telling you what you should do about your body if you come to my office and i tell you you should do this and you don't ask me why yeah i'd be offended <laughs> you should <laughs> you should you should know i'm going to tell you why i'm telling you this yeah. you know and if you don't think it's for you we'll do something different but to, to not ask at all. It kind of, it sets you up, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate, the, appreciate you sharing.
2: Yeah, that's powerful, Sarah. Thank you. And I'm just so grateful to you for all of the things that you covered, you know, in your experience. And like you said, 180, that's a big shift to make in any part of life. And then especially around how you relate to your physical body, your birth experiences, you know, becoming a mother, all of that is, is really big. And so I I just appreciate the way that you, you approached it, like in a very grounded, you know, we were talking about big things, but I feel like at a level that I could understand everything that you were describing and I was tracking with you, you know, so kind of bringing it down to a space where you know, someone listening can take this on an individual level, and then through through many, you know, taking back that power, then that can create some some shift that we can see. So mm-hmm. that's that's really awesome. And I'm going to include links to Worth Uprising, and then anything else you want to direct people towards so that they can connect with you, learn more about you, and/or learn you know, ask you more about your story. Because I want. To send them your way because this is all of what it's about. You know that's why you first started the Facebook group and then got into the the Instagram. It's you know to share what you might not have known otherwise and create the space to encourage others to share their stories. Like you said, a lot a lot of us are silent about it. So to you know open up those voices and and share with one another.
0: Oh yeah, some people I had talked to they shared their birth stories in the beginning of the autonomous birth project and. They had never told anyone and their kids were teens or older, you know, and they'd been carrying this with them for, you know, for that long. And to be able to actually spit it out in a place where they felt safe, I mean, I would hope was very cathartic for them. And, um, you know, they were around other people who also wanted to hear their story and maybe had similar stories as well. So they realized that they weren't alone.
1: Yeah, that's a huge part of it. Just Ooh. you're not alone. Right. Not alone. I mean everybody yeah. everybody's experience is unique. But yes. man, there is such connection and community and you're not alone. And I think that's mm-hmm. that's a, a huge piece to be able to take away for everybody listening. And um yeah, I'm I'm grateful that you said that. Oh, thanks.
0: Thanks for being <laughs> with
1: us, Sarah. Yeah, this was fantastic, Sarah. We appreciate you so much.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: note about the Doing It At Home podcast. Matthew and I are not doctors or medical professionals and nothing we say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. If you have medical or health-related questions, please take them to a trained professional. We're here simply to entertain you with stories and conversations about pregnancy, birth, and parenthood.
1: Does your father know you're listening to this podcast?